Hey folks, it's time to talk about Fangoria the Magazine. You know they have a hell of a podcast network with us and Colors of the Dark, but we also wanted to make sure you knew about their quarterly magazine, which they're most famous for. For over 40 years, Fangoria has been the gold standard of genre reporting, and in recent times they've taken it up a notch with beautifully executed, collectible issues of their magazine, filled with the hands-down best coverage of the horror, sci-fi, and fantasy genres. None of this writing is available online, so make sure to head over to Fangoria.com and pick yourself up a subscription. And because you're a listener of the show, you can get a whopping 25% off your annual subscription when you enter in the promo code KINGCAST at checkout. Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah! Uh, on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. The ice is gonna break! Sometimes that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the Kingcast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name's Scott Wampler, and I'm Eric Vespi, and we are your hosts. Uh, this week's guest is a very funny, very talented comedian who, over the course of his 20 years in the business, has racked up two Comedy Central specials, another on Amazon Prime, and five comedy albums while appearing on shows like Agent Carter, Upload, Blackish, and virtually every late night talk show you can name. Uh, he can currently be found hosting the This Might Help with Matt Bronger podcast, and today he's here to talk Creep Show. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the KingCast stage, Mr. Matt Bronger. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, we're very excited to have you. I'm excited to have somebody on who has done many, many, many late night talk show appearances yeah <laughs> um because i've always been curious is there any one of these shows that's more fun to do than another like if if conan sends you the invite is mm -hmm. that better say than a kimmel invite or fallon you know i've never did kimmel i did i did uh Ironically, I did the Tonight Show when the, that window that Conan had it. <laughs> oh my god! What a and fucking what a feather in your cap, though. It, oh yeah, it was it was incredible. Uh, I, you could tell the Tonight Show is a lot more storied. You know, doing Conan now is just fun. I, I last time I did last time I did one, I did Conan, and I literally had a thing where I started asking people in the audience how old they were the first time they got high, and they were like, "Sure, do that," and I. It backfired at one point because there's a kid in the front row who, to me, looked at least 21. And I was like, well, when the first time you got high? And he's like, I'm 12 or something. And I was like, all right, <laughs> take it back. You know, and it got a laugh. But you could see, I mean, any other late night show would kind of be like, you can't do that. We have sponsors. Well, like one last thing I'll say about how cool Conan is. The first time I did Conan, I did my um, I had just done my half hour special, which different thing for uh, comedy central and i had this long bit about taco bell and how it's only good when you're drunk and it, it first my first album was called soak up the night and that's a line from that mm -hmm. that should be their slogan is soak up the night like soak up everything you drank <laughs> and so i you know i wanted to do it and comedy central was like no they're a huge sponsor of ours and they asked conan if i could do it on that sh on his show and he said and it, actually excuse me the tonight show and he said yeah he's not saying taco bell gives you cancer he says it sucks unless you're drunk. That's fine. <laughs> so that's how cool Conan is. That's, uh, but that's truly amazing that you got to 
perform on that one while he was in charge of the tonight show. It, it just like, I swear to God, not three or four days ago, I went and rewatched, you know, the intro for the first episode and then his speech at the end, which was, you know, just a matter of months later. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever been angry. I'm, I don't know if that that's true, but I've rarely been as angry at like a corporation or a company as I was during that period with the Leno Conan shit. Just yeah. infuriating. Like, how <laughs> dare you treat Conan like like it, it was like he was. This is the closest I've ever been to being like a football fan and where people yeah. are getting like emotional over games and shit. I don't I'm not a football guy, but uh, Conan, like that's my team. You know, you right. can't disrespect this team like this for Jay Leno. Like, oh, I was so mad. But then I got <laughs> to see him on that uh, legally prohibited from being funny on television tour, which was a lot of fun. And I don't know. He seems happy with with uh, TBS. Yeah, well, and he's also kind of got a hold of himself in terms of his 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 emotional and mental health, as he as he readily admits, with, mm-hmm. like on his podcast and stuff. I, the thing about that 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 a lot of people don't realize is that that was just kind of showbiz laid bare like that ha- that kind of stuff happens literally daily in this town yeah uh and and this business but it was just the stakes were so high there there was no escaping it because all the announcements had been made you know like every every performer i know has gone in for a role that was written for them and they didn't get it or <laughs> things like that yeah. it just happens all the time yeah it's crazy i think there was also a bit of a generational thing going in the reaction to that where Leno was kind of like looked upon as the old guard, uh, I think, for people people my age. Like when I grew, when I was growing up, uh, my parents watched Leno, and I watched up in my bedroom Letterman. You know, so yeah. Letterman presaged Conan for me. And then once I got into Conan, I was like so excited for him about the Tonight Show and all that. But yeah, um, I mean that's absolutely me too. I, my first late night uh, stand up was was Letterman. Actually. Oh my god! I didn't want to ask on the off chance that you. No, no. I, I will. Was I was the last guest of two thousand eight, so it was me and then the holidays. It was one of those things where I had the experience where I did so well. He called me over to the couch, and I got to tell him uh, like a story, and I just never forget him throwing back his head and laughing. And then they're like, "All right, this is Matt Bronger, very funny man." And then it's like, "And we're out." And the thing with Letterman is you can't move. You stay where you are because he's so private. He has a back office that you go, he goes up these stairs. And so like the lights go down and this big hand goes over my shoulder and he goes, you're very funny. And I shook his hand and he went up the stairs and his door closed and they go, and we're clear. And that was it. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Good Lord. What a fucking, how surreal was that though? Like I would, I, I would just melt down in that moment. Too. It was it was it was that thing. It still has. I still haven't gotten anything that affected me that hugely. Where it's like, you know, it's like it was literally like hitting a home run at the World Series to me, right? Where yeah, you, and 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 this is this is what I love. This is New York. This is how New York is because you know I killed in the Ed Sullivan Theater. I'm with my manager, and they're like, hey, "You guys, were, you, you were great, awesome. We're, we're definitely going to have you back." Hey, thanks, guys. They're ushering me towards this stage door. The door opens. I go out, the door slams behind me. I'm in a freezing cold, empty alleyway <laughs> alone, freezing cold in New York. And like, it's just like, you were awesome. All the lights, the Beatles played here. A gunk. <laughs> Cop rounds the corner and immediately beats you to the ground. <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> Welcome to New York. <laughs> Punk. Yeah. I have a I have a question. How how much is the late night experience uh, like it was portrayed in Todd Phillips's Joker? Okay. I think that's the question on everybody's mind right now. Did, did you were you like making yourself up backstage and you, like you couldn't no. call me Bronger? No, you have you have there's they have people for that. You don't you're, like, <laughs> you're you're you have a makeup person. You know it's like on them for you to look you know presentable. I don't know in in terms of how like the the feeling they portrayed. It's 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 similar in that it things are always moving and you're just a piece. You know you're and just, Mark Marin is always there. Yeah, he is. He is. He's. <laughs> <laughs> I basically assume that the Larry Sanders show was gospel on that front. You it know, wasn't. That's yeah, very close to reality. It was pretty dead. I mean, it was pretty dead on in terms of all this interesting stuff going on back there. I you, you there's a thing where you can at least on the Letterman show where you you pick the song you come out to. Mm-hmm. And so I did, um, you know, Here Comes Your Man by the Pixies. I was like, it's such a happy song. And it's fun. And hey, here comes your man. It's me, you know. And Paul gets in the elevator with me, you know, from the band. Yeah. When I got there. And as we're going, we're going up, he just he he just leans over and goes, Pixies, nice man. And then he gets <laughs> So you could pick anything and they could just play it? Uh-huh. Oh man. As long as, it's really like fucking... right, as long as it's not too expensive or whatever, whatever they have to do. But sure. Yeah. sure. I need the Trans-Siberian Orchestra in here. Do <laughs> <laughs> you guys know Rammstein? <laughs> well, um, let's start off, uh, as we always do, with your, your Stephen King origin story. I understand you're a big King fan. Huge. And it's one of those things where I, I've always been a horror fan. I, I like to joke that like horror novels taught me to read because – my mother and father are both educators. My mom's an English teacher and mm-hmm. they were kind of of the mind that as long as you're reading, I really don't care what it is. And, uh, you know, my, my mother, her focus was a, a thing called whole language and with whole language, it's more teaching you not only to read, but to love to read. So you'll read your whole life mm-hmm. phonics and things. It's, it's more like uh, that's a stop sign. And, you know, this is a McDonald's menu and this is, you know, but like whole language is, is learning to love literature. So long story long, the first grown up book I remember reading, it was, it's a tie between the exorcist and the Amityville horror. Hmm. And, um, the, in Portland where I grew up, Portland, Oregon, there's a bookstore called Powell's. That's one of the biggest bookstores in the world. Oh yeah. I've been there. It's incredible. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And when I was a kid, there was nothing around Powell's. I mean, now it's called the Pearl district and the condos are you know, off the charts expensive, but it was just warehouses and one brewery around there. So I could go and ride my bike and get there and have a pocket full of change and go in and their used section of the, of whatever, um, or not even used section, excuse me, they have it sectioned by genre and their horror section had so many used books. I could leave with like five or six books for a couple bucks. And, uh, I remember, um, getting, off the top, I think it was, I think it was, is it Skeleton Key, Skeleton Crew? Skeleton, Skeleton Crew. Crew. Yes. Yeah. Crew, thank you. That book changed my life in terms of the, the 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 different stories in it and the nuances. And also reading uh, Christine as a very young guy who was getting into, at, you know, approaching adolescence. Right. You know, and so like, not that Stephen King taught me to read, but 
the thing about Stephen King is like his ideas are so good. And he's also an incredible writer and he's incredible accessible, which people put him down for. But I think it's a strength. Oh, um, big time. Yeah. Yeah. But just these ideas, they're so rock solid, you know, uh, in, in terms of like, OK, I want to see what's next with this, you know, and that, that, that as a young man. The accessibility and the rock solid ideas made me really love him. You bring up a, a really interesting point is so many people that we've talked to in, in both Scott and my own personal experience, uh, we all started reading King super young, like maybe Harry Potter, mm-hmm. Harry Potter age, whatever you kid mm-hmm. read Harry Potter, you know, that's when we were reading. 40 the stand years old, that's what they do now. Yes. <laughs> but, but I remember, I remember, uh, I couldn't tell you any specific words or anything, but I, I remember always coming across words I didn't know or understand while reading King because I was reading it so young. And and so there's got to be half of my vocabulary I discovered first, you know, uh, in King's world, especially like colloquialisms. Like he just has such a way with uh, like turns of phrase, you know, that are like relegated to like grandmas or like wise uncles or something, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, no, there, there's probably a good paper in there if somebody wants to write it about how a whole generation probably learned a, a chunk of their English from reading Stephen King. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he does, he, you know, he does have like touchstone words where they'll pop up again and again and again, you know, and they're kind of particular to him. Sometimes it seems like when you're reading a King book, like a very specific word that you're you don't often read pops up like three or four times over the course of the book and you're like did stephen king just learn this word like shortly (laughs) before he started writing this because it seemed (laughs) like you know he's like you know how you do you learn a word now you're using it every chance you get but also he he does a thing with the uh uh, the term booyah which he has been doing for some some years now and it's um i think that's my i think that's my least favorite example of them (laughs) <laughs> um, because the, it's always so jarring to your, your eye is scanning the page and then it comes across this like bit of slang from 1998 <laughs> and you're like, what the fuck? Like, and yeah, yeah. Especially when he does it in dark tower and like Eddie knows this phrase and you're like, Eddie didn't come from 1998. He came from 1986 in the key world in fucking New York city. So he wouldn't know booyah yet. You know, it hadn't been invented, you know? And I, I can't help but, do that because it's such a spit when's the last time you saw booyah written in print you know what i'm saying <laughs> right yeah it, he definitely is a dad who loves this one phrase yes. you know he, who saw wayne's world and now says not all the time <laughs> like, God, yeah dad, stop it you know so what was the, the the first of the movies you saw do you think oh golly I don't know, you know, not not to go too on brand, but it, uh, for the show, but it might have been. It's probably it's either The Shining or Creep Show, if I'm honest. Yeah, The Shining is a common one, you know. Yeah, well, because it had it had across the board uh, acceptance by you know in, in in every every kind of critical division you can imagine, you know, because of its director. Well, it was a it was a triple A title. Yeah. I mean, with with the biggest actor in the world. And yeah. yeah oh, right. Yeah. 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 For sure. Mm-hmm. Wasn't beloved upon release. But by the time I was old enough to watch it, like it was kind of coming into its own, I, I gathered. And yeah. I, I do remember, I think I mentioned this on the show before that, like. My mom had my mom saw it in the theater 
when it came out and she was a huge Stephen King nerd, you know, she hated it. She hated the shining. And so when I finally got old enough to start trying to get her to rent me horror movies at blockbuster, I think, you know, there was a struggle over it because it was violent and R rated, you know? Um, but also I remember her like very first weak line of defense being, Oh, that movie's not even good. Yeah, but I want to see it like like my nine year old, 10 year old mind or whatever it was, was so was perhaps more sophisticated than that of this, you know, 40 something year old woman. Um, well, and if you're if you're my age, you know, I came of age during the uh, the 80s VHS revolution mm-hmm. and I would go to the horror section and just pick a thing based on the cover. Right. Yeah. Literally judging books by covers. And, <laughs> yes. you know. It, saying it's not good, I'd be like, yeah, but do a lot of people get fucked up or is it, is it <laughs> will I not sleep well? These yeah. are the things I care about. You know, like it was so twisted in terms of and and I did, you know, I watch movies and be severely disappointed several times when my oh, parents yeah. would let me. I mean, I had to get permission and I, I had to finesse it and be like, yeah, but it's also the tale of a young man. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> whose father is forcing him to live in this giant hotel. And so it, 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 it I remember the shot, the shining was one I didn't have to sell because my, my dad's like, Oh, Nicholson. Cool. You know, get it. <laughs> so, but that, that's, that just, sorry, just explaining why I laughed out loud when you said your mom said, well, it's not good. It's like, yeah, I don't care. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, and, and obviously it would have been, I think that was the, probably the first real deal full on like prestige experience horror movie that I saw. Hmm. I had seen a few years previous to this. Like I was very, very like fucking impossibly young, you know, like four or five or something. And um, my dad got like, like rented the video thriller and that scared the shit out of me. I couldn't finish it. Sure. And, and they rented Temple of Doom and I tried to watch that and I couldn't, you know, the heart ripping scene just fucked, oh, yeah. fucked me up nine ways to Sunday. You know, that was the end of me for the night. Um, so I think they were kind of like they let me read all the scary monster shit and whatever I wanted to read, you know, no problem. But when it came to movies, I think they were probably a little hesitant because I was, you know, a big wuss about it when I was younger, you know, and we're like, oh, we don't want them want them to grow out of that, you know. Yeah sort of thing uh and we don't know that's smart i i wonder if that's why my parents let me watch these movies i never actually thought about this but my dad took me when i was around that age that you were to see you know uh 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 the creature from the black lagoon in a Mm. repertory movie theater and i lost my mind i screamed so loud my dad had to take me out because i was crying i had seen i had seen creature and in fact i have a i have a huge creature from the ta- uh, black lagoon tattoo on one of my arms um awesome i don't think of that i don't classify that in the same way that i classify the shining because i guess in no. my mind it's like when i saw it i was probably six or so when i saw that mm-hmm. it wasn't scary but it's not bloody it's in black and white you know the wiring of my brain i think was telling me this is something from long long ago you know this yeah. is not something to be scared of there was a difference between that and say thriller or temple of doom sure uh, which you know I, and i just love monster shit like creatures and stuff are the cool oh, monsters are my favorite yeah uh, I, I honestly i think it's because i was in a theater and it was such a it was a giant it was a giant screen and yeah. i remember it was the part where uh the creature reaches out of the water for that woman's leg 
Yeah. And that's what I just snapped right then. And it, there's no warning. I wasn't whimpering. I was very excited to watch this movie with my dad. And I was just like, nope. It just felt so real. <laughs> you know? so what did, you, did you walk on it or did you stay or? No, no. My dad, my dad had to carry. I, I, I was probably like four. My dad had to carry me out. Like I was just, I just freaked out. I just started yelling and was like, no, 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 or whatever, you know. It's it's funny because those, you're right, there is something in, in your brains watching like a black and white horror movie uh, today that just, it, it puts it in like kind of a storybook format right. almost, right? This is a long time right. ago, you mm-hmm. know, in, in a land far away uh, kind of thing. Uh, but there are still like images and vibes you can get like the... Uh, like cat people from Val Luton can still mm. get under your skin when you watch that, even though it's not bloody or jump scary. Um, and another thing that popped instantly to mind when you guys t- were talking was a shot from Night of the Hunter. I don't know if you guys have seen that, but oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. with Shelly Winters and the, at the bottom of the uh, what's it the the lake or whatever. Oh. Yeah, and yep, it's yep. like one of the whenever I think of like images from film that creep me out that's one of the very first things just the way her hair is flowing and in time with the seaweed or the 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 vegetation on the bottom of the of the uh-huh. water it's I, there is a, yeah it's weird it, but i also want to touch on something you guys mentioned about um uh prestige horror and and uh and i think this might be a good segue into creep show which is the opposite of that um uh, in in all the best ways possible but like I, when you mentioned when you said the words prestige horror, I was trying to think of like what would qualify. We have like Rosemary's Baby, mm. The Exorcist, yeah, The Shining, and but I can't think of very many others that aren't like didn't originate as B movies. Like obviously, you look at Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein and see the master, uh, the masterful like thematic work there and all that. But that that was buried underneath at the time what was just clearly supposed to be a B movie but mm-hmm. Rosemary's Baby and Exorcist were made to be you know prestige horror hereditary is what I would call prestige horror you know recently get out summer. yeah get yeah. out I, I was just gonna say like that's that's the thing with these these the movies we're talking about here like The Shining didn't do great at the time of its release Rosemary's Baby was a big hit though Exorcist huge hit. obviously Exorcist. a huge hit but uh I think in in general with the the horror genre, like you got to put some space uh, of years between that movie's release and then when it's just generally agreed upon as a classic. To this day, it's still like the least respected genre. And to be fair, they the horror industry turns out a lot of bullshit. You know, like if you yeah. don't believe me, go look on Amazon Prime. It's fucking all over the place on there. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's but, on all the platforms. All, yeah, yeah. all kinds of bad stuff. Prime Even is like Prime is particularly egregious, though. I mean, you can find okay. the craziest shit on there. Like if you go, you know, when you like keep scanning in the in the little line, you're like mm. seen it, yeah. seen it, don't need it, seen it, seen it, don't want it. You know, and if you just keep going at eventual, there's, there comes a point where you go through some sort of stargate that, that brings you into a new line of like thumbnails. And it's just like they look like someone's last known photograph or they're like hostage photos of like one of the cast members behind the scenes. And you're like, what is this? And the movies are all like 43 minutes long. And, you know, one guy has a credit on every single role in the fucking thing. Anyway. <laughs> Anyway, like my the point that I was getting to was um, I think 
for recent examples, I think Get Out is that. You know, it was very critically even, popular. It right. was, a, you know, a huge hit, obviously. But I think in 10 years, we'll be talking about it without blinking and mentioning it amongst like The Shining, The Exorcist. But, sure. But I think even Get Out, like in order to be prestige, you kind of have to be. I mean, listen, that that Get Out takes a whole, you know, there's a lot of depth to it, but I, I would say it's maybe more similar to Romero's Night of the Living Dead, where it's kind of a sneaky thing where you go, oh, cool, this is the Jordan Peele thing, and you watch it, and it's kind of funny, and it's whatever, but then you, by the time you're deep into it, you're like, oh, this has a lot of stuff on its mind. There's a lot of political commentary going on here. I don't know. Yeah. In my mind, I think prestige horror, you get, you have to have like a, a, a top tier director. You have to have top tier cast, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe there's just something that's the, that's well, what about that. hereditary then? Well, hereditary has, has Tony Collette, who is like mostly known for, for her dramatic work, mm-hmm. um, it, delivering the tour de force, you know, that definitely kind of bends my, my rule for sure, because uh, Ari Aster wasn't known from anybody at that point, but I guess at Roman Polanski was like most famous for, for, um, for his foreign work still, mm-hmm. um, when he made sure. Rosemary's baby. Yeah. Um, so maybe, maybe my argument's crumbling underneath my feet, no, but I, 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 I totally I agree it, that there are, there are elements uh, th- your argument. I, I absolutely agree with, I think per, per your point to, to put a little more fine point on it is, you know, we're talking about social analogies in terms of the night of the living dead, in terms of get out in terms of, you know, like I, I said to Jordan when I, after I'd saw, I'd seen it, uh, he's a, a friend was, was that movie is a perfect twilight zone episode. Yes, like, it's feature length, and he was like, "Yeah, that's exactly what I was. That's part of what I was going for." And it, you know, Twilight Zone. It's you never say horror TV series. Really, kind of is for the most part. The 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 happy ones are few, pretty few and far between. It's all kind of fucked up supernatural stuff, you know. But it's all for the most part social commentary, so it gets a pass in terms of it making it what I would call prestige and not horror. Horror for in and of itself in a way is looked as fetishism. It's looked as yep, like, yep. why would you want to see someone get murdered? And you're like, it's not just that it's the dread. It's, it's the fear. It's, it's, you know, in, to be in an obvious thing, it's like, Oh, it's a, it's a great roller coaster ride or a thrill or, right. you know, it's, it's a just, safe release. It's a safe release. Yes. It's, it's, yeah, I mean, it's so so many people. It's almost hacky to compare it now, but it's, you know, because so many people have said this and made the point better than I can. But it, it's true. It's it's like going to see a good comedy. You go to see a horror movie to have a release. You uh-huh. you yeah. build up the tension and you get to you know be in a safe space to experience some fears sometimes with the crowd back in the pre COVID days. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and with comedy, it's the same thing. You go in to have a, the release of laughter. Like you go into to just to be able to unwind a little bit and, and uh, more know, than any know. other two genres, horror and comedy are the, the flip sides to the same coin. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, the, as you just, you know, noted the, the buildup, the release, the tension of it, oh, the horror genres jump scare is an Adam Sandler movies fart joke, basically, yeah. you know, and not to be reductive of Sandler. We love Sandler here, but mm-hmm. you know what I'm talking about? It's just, The genres are, they have a lot in common because Mm -hmm. a lot of it is horrible things happening to other people and it's really not actually happening so you can enjoy it. Right. Right. I I often say one reason America's Funniest Home Videos will always be one of the funniest shows on TV is you can see an old man 
on top of a of a barn and he's about to fall off and you can already start laughing because you know he won't be killed or injured because it's main because it's it's mainstream television. It's right. the same thing with a horror movie or the same thing with a terrible thing happening in a comedy. I, I have a, a bit that's one of my most downloaded a lot of times by stone college kids called the ghost of the two man party. And it's uh, I get people asking me all the time, did that really happen? And it's a true story about a friend and I in college, his mom was out of town and we got wasted at, at her house and we found we, evidence of a ghost. We thought it was a ghost and we went through the whole house and tried to find, you know, if there was a person there decided, no, it's a ghost. Let's go to sleep. The next day, we woke up and there was a vagrant woman was just living in the house, and she what? got she she was just sitting on the steps and she wouldn't answer us and she left the house and she was in the house the whole night. And if you listen to that bit, I screamed that part probably four times in a row. And I know college people who are now older, it came out probably ten years ago, that are just like, man, we used to listen to that at parties and freak out and do bong rips and. You know, and the reason why it's happy is because there's a line in it where I said, thank God we didn't find her because if we found her, we would have killed her because yeah. we had weapons. Like I had a, a forget, like a frying pan and he had like a bat. You know, we were scared out of our minds. Someone yeah, had made yeah. a bat on a couch in the basement and well, cracked what was, a beer. What was so, the, well, I'm sorry to interrupt, but what was the evidence you found? No, yeah, someone had made a bed on the couch in the basement with a blanket and a pillow. Holy and, fuck. And had opened a beer. The way it, I went no. upstairs, we were done for the night. And when, if you know, you know how you party when you're like 20 or 21, oh, we yeah. were wasted. So I go up to the attic to sleep and he goes, dude, what the fuck? And I'm like, what? And he's like, I was saving this beer. I brought it back from Ireland. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he starts yelling at me and I go down and there's this pull tab Guinness that he brought home as a keepsake. And I'm like, I didn't open that. I'm, I'm not, I'm done drinking. I'm drinking water now. And we're like, holy fuck. And we're like, who's in the goddamn house? You know, we start kicking in doors and shit. It, I mean. Yeah. And and I don't know how she is. She just must have moved from room to room. Oh, escape. my God. I hate that. Can you imagine? Like but the, the, the reason after, why. Yeah. Like she's I mean, like evading you and kind of slinking through the shadows. Yeah. And she was tiny. I mean, she was borderline. You know, I think she was probably around our age. She's probably 20, 21. Yeah, I was picturing good. the pigeon lady from Home Alone 2 for some reason. <laughs> like, which I don't know why that's the first image that popped to mind. But I imagined her like moving through the shadows like a ninja, you yeah. know, and hiding behind doorways, which is yep. a horrifying image. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't like that at all. That's a great story, though. Well, thanks. And that, and it's it's on my it's on. It, it would kill. In comedy clubs. Yeah, of course. It would. Because people were like, oh my God, that's so fucked up. We can laugh at it now in relief because it's not happening to you and nothing happened to you or or her. You know, and the, is- and the woman turned out fine. She's in Congress now. <laughs> you know, she's, you know, doing great for herself. Yeah, I think uh, I just read she was stripped of all of her uh, committee appointments. <laughs> well, that, was, that was Marjorie. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> makes sense makes sense sure we, so, we found in the basement a, a, a piece of paper that said bush did 9 11 and <laughs> and we knew something was horribly amiss <laughs> she she left us unharmed when she found out we weren't jewish thanks everybody <laughs> <laughs> I, the reason i wanted to bring up prestige horror is because this is a very interesting moment in king's 
career, right? This is he's this is creep show is him going, no, this is what I think horror really is. Everybody's adapted my thing, adapted my stuff. You know, we've had Carrie, The Shining, The Salem's Lot uh, miniseries at this point. And uh, he notoriously didn't like The Shining. And I think a lot of what he didn't like about it was the prestige aspect that that Kubrick brought to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, because he felt it was cold and ignored the character work. Uh, but I also and I've made I've floated this theory before on the show. But I think that in King's mind, when he thinks like good horror movie, he goes back to his EC comics mm-hmm. roots. He goes back to the <laughs> yeah. B movies he loved as a kid. And so he thinks that that's kind of what horror should be is this more goofy, uh, you know, dark tales, but told in a, with a goofy, uh, through a goofy lens. It's hmm. the explanation for maximum overdrive is what you're describing. Right. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. When he's been in, in full control, he definitely of any of the projects he's done, uh, whether it's this maximum overdrive, even the McGarris shining miniseries, he leans into the goofy side of things mm-hmm. like, you know, in, in the McGarris stuff, whenever, you know, they portray Jack's evil, you know, he's wearing a goofy prosthetic, you know, he's got the crazy gr- harsh green lighting behind him. You know, it's, it's yeah. the EC comics lighting. It's the, this to me feels like this is King's aesthetic personally. Like if this is what he believes uh, you know, a, a good horror movie should be is in this this zone. You know, I think to an extent he is right. I like I like all different kinds of horror stuff, but like the two I probably gravi- gravitate towards the most are like Tales from the Crypt style shit. I love Tales from the Crypt very dearly. That entire series and that that EC Comics sort of vibe. And also, I like I look I like a good surreal horror movie. Like mm. under the skin, I would throw in this category. I would throw um, Possum that Matthew Holness directed a couple years ago. They're, they're not slasher movies. They're not necessarily supernatural. I guess under the skin is, you know, sci-fi, but um, they're terrifying in their own way. And they're not presented in a, you know, a standard format. Those movie, neither one of those movies is like, well, we let's meet our hero and then we're going to do this, and, then, and you know, or there's some teenagers and then there's a guy in mask. Now, this is just some like really upsetting shit. Kill List is another yeah. another horror movie I love. Oh, yeah. So, um, so yeah, I'm kind of with King on that. I like to balance those two flavors and sort of bounce back and forth between them. But the former, the EC comic shit is in very short supply these days. You just right. don't really see that. I guess they're kind of doing it with the Shutter Creepshow series. Um, but I was kind of, I was heavily mixed on that, uh, first season. So yeah, me too. Me too. It's, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I love, I love how the, 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 you know, vault of terror type stuff, Tales from the Crypt, it's, it's, it's tied up in a neat bow, which is so fun. Yeah. You know, it's like this, it, you could title them all. This will not end well for you. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it, you, you, you did something immoral. You will be punished. Um, like I love the I love monsters. I love the movie Pumpkinhead, and, yeah. Because uh-huh. I think that is a perfect Tales from the Crypt, but it's movie length. Get Out is a Twilight Zone. Pumpkinhead is a Tales from the Crypt, and like that's it because it's it's a it's a, a demon made of revenge, and revenge is always it never goes well. I agree with you. I like the esoteric stuff. I like the more more surrealist stuff. But it's this this stuff is nice because it's it's just delicious. 
It's yeah, like it's a perfect in and out burger. It's just yeah. you know what you're getting. Uh, it's going to be freaky and weird. There's going to be humorous elements that are very dark. And there you go. There might be some bad fries with it. (laughs) That burger is going to be great. You know, Yeah, the shake's going to rock. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. I get you. So that's why you picked creep show. I assumed. Yeah. Because I remember it being so fun when I was a kid and it, it never got less fun. I think it's so well you, to your point of Stephen King, being like, no one ever did it the way I wanted it. It's like, yeah, but you got to know your skill set. Him working with Romero as a director made this movie to me. I, I'm not a big fan of the idea of an auteur uh, where it's like, I do everything because it's you just don't have enough collaboration. I mean, too many cooks spool, spoil the soup. Yeah, but two or three make it great. You got these incredible actors. You have, um, you know, Romero directing. Uh, you have, ugh, what's his name, doing the effects? Damn it, what's his name? Savini. Thank you, of course, the master. It's just, it, it was just one of those lightning in a bottle. I, I don't think you're ever going to get, I love horror analogies, um, but there's so much more bad ones than good ones. And this one's just great. How do we want to approach this discussion of Creepshow? Are we going to go through each story or do we want to yeah, not want we should maybe start with the wraparound and then just uh, hit up each story a little bit. Yeah, the, the wraparound, as a kid, that's the thing that I remembered probably the most. Um, I remember being a young kid and I liked the Crate episode because it had a monster in it. And and I liked uh, the Leslie Nielsen one because uh, because it, I liked Leslie Nielsen. I think I'd already seen Naked Gun maybe at this point that I'd seen this. <laughs> Um, or no, I, I definitely seen airplane. So I, I this might've been pre naked gun. Um, but anyway, it's like, Oh, I like Leslie Nielsen. And it's the dude from cheers. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but I remember being kind of bored by the birthday cake one. I remember being, uh, up until the very end, of course. And I remember being, uh, really into the cockroach one. Cause that was the most, uh, like grody. Uh, so you have all these different, and my favorite was always the Jordy Verrill one that, that kicks everything off because I think I, even at that point, Stephen King was a star for me. Like I was just excited mm-hmm. to see him. Oh, wow. Um, and it's also the most goofy and like weirdly kid friendly, even though it ends in a suicide. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but just in, in terms of tone, you know, and it's also the most like blatantly comic booky of, of all of it. There's just the way that, that, uh, Romero frames everything. But, uh, but again, I'm jumping the fucking gun. Cause I just said, we'll st- uh, talk about the wraparound first. Um, uh, but I remember that that's the thing that I always liked the most because as a kid, you're watching it and there's a kid who's in the comic books and he's got an asshole dad or whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I remember really relating to that. And it, it took me a very long time to realize that that, um, uh, that that kid was uh, actually Stephen King's kid. Uh-huh. That's yeah. That's uh, what that's Joe, right? That's Joe Hill. It's Joe Hill. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and I've read some stuff on it. Apparently, uh, King said that uh, that that he took all that very well, like uh, you know, took to acting. And he's like, it's always you know strange when you realize he's like eight or nine years old, and he's just a kid in his PJs, and you know, a bunch of adults are standing around him setting up lights for eight yeah. hours at a time or whatever. Um, but uh, he, he, they were saying that he put on. You know, there's a, a moment in the intro where uh, it's Tom Atkins, right? I'm not misremembering that. Is is his dad? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and 
and he uh and he like smacks him and so he has like a, a you know a, a realistic makeup uh on his face of a, of a bruise and apparently king said that uh uh, that when they wrapped one day, uh, he uh, they were hungry, so he took his kids to McDonald's and didn't realize until oh, everybody's fuck. mouth was like dropping open around oh, him. Oh no! <laughs> that he still had the the black eye makeup on it. Oh <laughs> he's, god! He's, he said by the time we left, about fifteen minutes later, everyone in that McDonald's had been outside to see the kid in the pajamas with this great big bruise on the side of his face. Oh, oh no! <laughs> That's terrible. I, I think it's just a very solid intro into the uh you know the the anthology narrative like just the fact that right up front they're going you're reading a comic book this is all a comic book and and you know so every visual language the weird transitions the wipes like everything is is all done in that comic book language that like weirdly enough we don't get to see that a lot i think angley's the hulk was uh Mm. the only other time i can really think of uh, somebody you're like really trying to m- make the feel of reading a comic into uh, a film. Good Lord. I forgot about that. Movie. And well, and it is, you know, in terms of that, I, I feel like superhero movies, though I do enjoy them are, are, you know, 10 times more ridiculous than any horror. Okay. It just doesn't, <laughs> For sure. It doesn't make any, I mean, I used to say, I, I don't think I ever said on stage, but I was just like, who, who would Batman even fight the Crips? Like who? <laughs> you don't see street criminals. You, everything has a, a you know a mo- I feel like the Dark Knight came the closest, but I'll leave that where I where I I picked it up. But like it's <laughs> you know I just think it, it, in terms of this shift to comic books, it's so much more natural because those comic books were back to my point about fetishism. They were like horror porn in a, in the best possible way. Just like how you know looking at a, a food blog is food porn kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like my thing was that when I saw and I would say this is one reason I didn't like like you man didn't love the creep show series when I first saw it they didn't nail that guy whatever that guy is he's not the crypt keeper but like the creep show man the rotting right. dude the creep know, I think they call him the him. creep thank you sorry when he appeared in that window I was like what the fuck is that thing <laughs> right. like, I'm into this movie now because because he's not trying to kill that kid. He's smiling at him. He's going, what's up? You're cool. You know, you want to be on the side of these dark forces when you're right. a kid because right. you right. have bullies. You have insecurities. You have you don't know who you're going to be or what you are. You and have you abuse have this- of Tom Atkins as your dad. Right. Yeah. Who's who's drinking, you know, high life out of a child's glass. I don't know why I was thinking about that today. <laughs> You know, it's That's like where the thinking, champagne from, of beers go. I'm from I'm from Oregon. It's like we drank shit beers and craft beers, but we drank pints. Like he's got like this. It's like a it's like a jelly jelly cup, like some little thing that he anyway. And he's just like, "That's what you got to do, honey. Got to show him who's boss." And then the kids upstairs and the monsters looking at him, and like it just it's such a grabber. It's such an opener, whatever that thing is. The fact that it's smiling at that kid and it's like, well, I'm going to take you on a journey. And that's kind of what the movie is. So it's a more it's a more extreme version of the opening to Michael Jackson's black or white video with George Wentz, (laughs) which is another Cheers connection, I think, is worth pointing out. Yes. Um, But yeah, (laughs) Macaulay, you're playing that music too loud, buddy. You got to turn it down. Um, I I. I don't know. I don't have any strong feelings about the wraparound, to be honest. Um, everything I agree with everything you're saying. Um, 
I think y'all have put more thought into it than I ever have. Um, <laughs> but I do enjoy it and I do appreciate it as sort of like a, a thing that's getting your palate ready for what's coming. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, and it does something that I wish more anthology, uh, horror would do that has those wraparound segments. It gets right to the point, right? Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's in and out. It sets everything up and it's over and onto the show, right? There, there's so, yeah. so many anthologies I can think of where the, the wraparound is like, you're five minutes in, you're just like, get to the fucking horror, get, you know, get to the thing. We, we get it. Let's, let's go. Let's move on. Uh, and the first segment is Father's Day which in my household anyway is most notable for containing a disco dancing at Harris which Man, is Man, I'm so glad you brought that up. I How could I not? Down. His how dance could I not? is yeah. so good. Oh. He is tearing it up. Hand over the head with a flapping motion. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's it's... he's 2 seconds away from dropping it much like it is hot. Yes. <laughs> uh, throughout this scene, and you know, we uh-huh. we love to see that. It's and but his it's, gal is his gal is dancing like she's just trying to whip water off her body, uh, <laughs> flapping her arms downward, 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 and her you know shitty drunk brother is just in a chair. He won't dance. <laughs> yeah, he's and the party I, pooper. I if you if you go to I don't even know if it's open anymore the Tosca Cafe in San Francisco there's a private room that we rented for a, a friends we took our friends to City Hall to get married and there's pictures from the right right stuff they used to party there mm-hmm. and Ed Harris is now long since sober but there are just pictures of him plainly blotto <laughs> and it was so fun to look at you know like he's just watching friends play pool and he's just like glassy eyed grinning it's just great <laughs> anyway. Sleep on the it. floor under a booth with people in it. <laughs> can I can I say I really miss the days where you could be like a big movie star and be so clearly balding. Oh, like I I miss it. Like Bruce Willis had that, you know, until he shaved his head. There, I can't. There's not an equivalent. There's we have character actors that are like balding, but there's you know there's no like The Rock just shaves his head. Right. It's like you, yeah. there is no balding you know, male pattern baldness in movies anymore. It's either shaved head or full luscious head of hair. Jack and I say Nicholson's this to somebody with thinning hair in The Shining is is kind of hard to look at. And it's that's what makes it great right. because yeah. he just has a patch of hair in the front and it, <laughs> it's combed back. You know, it's it's glorious. Right. Yeah, no, no, that's a, yeah, it is that that's a great point because that is so so much a part of that character mm-hmm. and it looks even weirder whenever he's going crazy and it's like kind of combed to the front almost like flock of seagulls, you know, <laughs> style. Yeah. It's like hanging over his face, yeah. not mm-hmm. remotely fooling anyone. It's just, <laughs> That's that's always my thing with this is like why don't, why not just shave your head at that point? You know, like I think it's kind of let your freak flag fly in a real hardcore way because society generally feels that way. It's like, would you just cut that? And well, it it draws attention to it. Whether I don't give a fuck what society says, I'm like, if I'm looking in a mirror and I've got a comb over that involves like, you know, a 40 minute process just to like get it to looking like that. I'm I'm, at some point I'm like, fuck this. It's it's my head is cooler on a pillow. If I have no hair anyway, this is a double bonus for me. Like, I I think to your point, yes, exactly. I'm not saying, you know, you're following society and that feeling, but I do think it's, I think Jack Nicholson, it just never occurred to him to shave, to look in a mirror, you know, just like I'm, I am the id. 
Okay. I am a sex monster. <laughs> I'm, and I'm, I'm, and I, I'm sorry. I just want to clarify. I was mostly talking about Ed Harris's haircut just then. Oh, yeah. Um, okay. I got gotcha. you. Nicholson in The Shining, I got it. I'm going to tell you, I kind of like that haircut. It's, right, right, on. right it's, on. It's just, uh, it doesn't, it, it has personality. It, there's almost like a reverse Wolverine thing going on where he has little yeah. sweeps coming down, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, but they're kind of sharp or something. It's, yeah. it's, it's something like if I could, yeah. if I could snap my fingers and suddenly have that haircut just to see what it looked like, I would do it in a fucking heartbeat. Wouldn't even yeah. hesitate. Like, mm-hmm. but, but also I'm no Jack Nichols. I would look like, I, I think it's the, the Ed Harris thing is also that man has perfect bone structure. That's true. Absolutely yeah. perfect. Yeah. And so it's a bald head is who cares? Look, I'm an Adonis. Like, yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that my head gleams to show you my amazing face, you know, like to, to shine on. And, you know, he's slim. He's got that, uh, what the, the co- the, the shirt collar out of the, the jacket and the thin gold chain for no reason that everyone had back then. In, in right. Oh yes. The rock it. chain. And, I will say I also love Ed Harris's noise right before the monster father drops, you know, a ton <laughs> of rock on his head. Um, I remember rewinding it as a kid and with friends and laughing over and over because he falls in the grave and then he looks up and then the gravestone's moving, 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 and it falls and you hear him go. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a high pitched <laughs> from your soul. Wait, this isn't going to happen. It is. <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, I I mentioned that this kind of bored me when I was a kid. I actually I really like it now. I, I want I want that to be on the record that it's not like I, you know, uh, I I still don't like this. I'm just saying, as a kid, you know, I was attracted to the monster stuff and the the gooey zombies and and you know and uh, and of course you have to even then I liked the ending of this because there's like a decapitated head with you know on a cake. Um, but uh, but watching it now, it's really funny, especially watching it post Knives Out. This is like the horror Knives Out for this segment. <laughs> uh, and uh, and it also has some one of the most uh, quotable lines in the whole thing where, you know, it, he just wants his birthday cake. That dude That's just it. wants his birthday cake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I really, uh, and it, but, it's worth I, I think this is the weakest segment in the movie. But I also think if you're building out an anthology movie, put your fucking weakest se- uh, segment up first. You know, Interesting. give us give us the seven out of ten and build us up to a nine or a ten. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I've seen so many anthology movies where they open strong and you're like, holy fuck, this movie's probably going to be amazing. And then they get worse and worse as they go along. And yeah. you're like, what the fuck were you thinking? Like, so, yeah, trying to drive people away from this before they can see the credits. I will say one reason I I did love Father's Day is that I love the idea of this mon this zombie dad coming to this house where three people are drunk and dancing. Like I love it's not a huge party. Like that's what I loved about it that this <laughs> affluent like like so much light. It's so bright inside that house and outside is pure death. Nothing but graves. <laughs> and, right. And they're dancing around. It's just like you're it's I like the setup. You know, it's like uh, Bill Burr has that amazing joke about the guy who took one helicopter lesson to jump to his death. (laughs) He does does an impression of the guy who's giving who took him up there and he's going, well, uh, we're pretty high up. This is about as high as we're going to get. And uh, uh, put your seatbelt on, sir. Um, If you look to the left like that, put your seatbelt on. is so fucking funny. 
because you already know he's about to jump. <laughs> and he just keeps trying to be affable, but he keeps going, look, I, I can't tell you again, put it back on. You know, so like when you're watching this <laughs> creep show, they're dancing around you know, hilariously badly and there's something coming to kill them. And you're just like, I'm in. Great, great, great. Like the setup is so good, you know. It's not my favorite at all, but I just I, I like that it's just it's it, there's something coming for you terrible dancers as you get drunk. It's great. <laughs> Which brings us to the lonesome death of Jordy Barrel. Gee, this was my I'll let you sorry, but like this was my least favorite when I was a kid. Really interesting. Uh, elaborate because I I looked to Stephen King as a star too, but I didn't really need to see him act, and I was just like he's just doing this really cartoony cartoony character, but. In retrospect, that character is perfect for that. Yeah, for that's that's my exact. My and exact. I love it so much more now than yeah. when I was a kid. It's a it's it's a vanity role, you know. Yeah, they could have they could have cut a segment out of this movie. It's two hours long, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, they absolutely could have like lost a segment. And if you look over the titles, it's kind of like, well, if one of them had to go. You know, um, maybe the one that stars Stephen King and no one else is like the obvious choice, even though it's it's one of my favorites. I can see from a studio perspective being like, we don't need to. They know he's involved. You know, his name's already all over it. He doesn't have to actually be in it. But right. um, I'm glad it's in there. And I, I agree with you that it's it's pit, his perform. My wife and I argued about this the last time we watched Creep Show. Because she was like, he's a terrible actor, though. Like, why did he do this? And I'm like, but it's he's not a good actor, but this is the perfect performance in this movie, you know, for the tone that they're trying to catch. Of course, this is how this character would would react. He's a cartoon. It's supposed to be a cartoon. It's supposed to be a fucking comic book. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. so it all does. it, It does track. And I think that people get hung up on the performance when they should be kind of focused on the, the set dressing in this segment is incredible. And the suicide is great. It's amazing. Uh, that it's an unfortunate combination of words, but you know, when, yeah, <laughs> when he, he blows his, his head off with the shock and it's like all mossy and shit. And you're yeah. like, fuck dude. He doesn't even have the dig- dignity of blowing his own brains out. It's just moss. Yeah. You know? It's, it's so, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. And it's so sad where he's like begging God, please let me get this right. Yeah. yeah. Die. You know, it's so it just goes from this goofy guy to, oh, I suddenly feel so bad for this person I was laughing at. Yeah, there's you know? not much, you know, all of these kind of all the EC comic shit, Tales from the Crypt, Creep Show, this they're like the same sort of morality plays you would get on twilight zone, but they're just sleazier, you know, they've got gore, they've got to from time to time. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and there isn't really a strong fucking, uh, moral lesson to be imparted by the lonesome death of Jordy barrel. You know, like it's, what is the lesson exactly? He's a, he's a hayseed who fucking like saw way out and tried to capitalize on it and it killed him. Like, of course anyone's going to take that. Why wouldn't you take that opportunity? I think broadly you can say, Oh, he got greedy, but 
Mm. But yeah, no, you're right. Jordy Verrill is, uh, especially in the company he has here, you know, like the, the dude from the bug episode is a fucking huge piece of shit. You know, everybody <laughs> yeah. in the crate is awful and deserves what they get. Um, uh, everybody in the Leslie Nielsen segment deserves it. Like all the kids fighting over their dead dad's money, they all deserve what they get. But Jordy Verrill is just a, a guy who wants 200 bucks because he, he stumbled upon a rock. Yeah, you know, it's like, exactly. you know, that's and he doesn't want 200 bucks to go gamble or to, you know, buy a mountain of Coke or whatever. He wants 200 bucks so he can pay off the, the bank loan so he can save his house. Yeah. He's not a despicable guy. You no. know, he's not he's, you know, he's he not, not earned any to- sort of comeuppance, I don't think, mm-hmm. which does make it sort of the, the odd man out on this roster. For sure. Um, I don't think anyone at a studio level would have maybe moved to cut it. You know, not for that reason. I think mm-hmm. it would have been a million other reasons before. Like, well, actually, according to the, you know, the the thematics of this thing, like, shouldn't Jordy be, you know, like, no one's thinking along those lines. It was probably yeah. like, no, this is going to be a pricey segment. Stephen King can't act. We've seen the <laughs> Maximum Overdrive trailer. Absolutely not. Like, <laughs> Well, but I, I will say that I think out of everything in this movie, in this anthology, this is the tone setter. This is the one that yeah, like yeah. if you I have the one sheet for Creep Show up in my living room. I'm looking at it right now and it's done in that EC Comics style. It's done in a cartoony. You are going to have fun and we're going to see some gross shit. That's yeah. that's what the vibe is in this this is like the one that that encapsul- encapsulates that uh, that whole theme the most. Mhm. So then the next one is something to tide you over, which is the one where Mm -hmm. uh, Leslie Nielsen is is uh, very mad at Ted Danson because he's been stripping his wife and conspires to uh, bury them alive on a beach. Your thoughts, gentlemen. To me, this was one of the scare. This was I don't I want to say I won't say the scariest if I had to pick one is probably the crate and the crate's also my favorite. But the evil of Leslie Nielsen's character. Right. I remember as a kid being like, how are you this evil? Like the part where he's sure they're, they're drowned and dead or they are dead. And he goes and just makes himself a drink and yeah. is deciding what movie to watch now. Oh, yeah. oh, right. I just watched these deaths, actual deaths. Now I'm going to watch fucking Mary Poppins or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe night court is on. Sure. Who knows? Yeah. But you know, and also because it was Leslie Nielsen, who was a guy who we all grew up as the funniest, just, yeah. you know, straight talker. I do, do you know about his fart machine, Leslie Nielsen's? I do, actually. Uh, go ahead and if you want to tell the story. For yeah, he had a fart machine he carried in his pocket all the time. And so if he and his wife were like in a bar and a fight broke out, he would go walk up to them and be like, you guys know where the bathroom is? And they would start laughing. <laughs> he had he kept it on to diffuse farts. It's so great. So. <laughs> But you, are, got you are right, and it is unique in this uh, in this lineup. In that, you know, between F- Father's Day has you know reanimated corpse, lonesome death of Jordy Barrels, like a sci-fi thing, borderline annihilation with overalls. Mm-hmm. The crate is a monster in a box. They're creeping up on you. Is you know uh, cockroaches. Something inside you over. There's nothing supernatural about it. This is just a fucking mean, angry, evil fuck who has you know plug some people into the dirt and uh, is going to watch them drown alive. Yeah. Well, they're and supernatural like, at the end. Yeah. And, oh, oh they, that's right. But, but still, oh, yeah, right. but it's the evil isn't. Yeah. But what happens right. To evil right, 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 right. 
Yeah, and he and he doesn't even love his wife. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like you don't even you don't love her anymore. He said, that doesn't matter. She's mine. This it's guy had like, two thousand feet of extension cord and was like, "What am I going to use this for?" So much this, cord. Yeah, right? so, much, like, so wait, many cords. My wife, who I don't love, is cheating on me. I've got an idea. Get me three TVs. No, two TVs and a video camera. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll put this cord that are disposable because they're going to get washed out to sea <laughs> yeah. at some point. Because he's very yeah. he's very wealthy. Uh, yeah. th- this isn't this is him doing the, uh, the he did another one co- called the ledge that's the exact same th- premise. It's just a, told in a different way, and it's also in another anthology. That one's in Cat's Eye, and it also stars another airplane actor because Robert Hayes is the guy walking around the ledge. Oh shit! Oh wow! Think about Holy that shit. shit. Cheers! I've got my. Coming yeah, up. I got What's my Charlie Day board going going on around here. <laughs> going, I'm connecting all the dots. Yeah, <laughs> strings. strings. Do you guys do you, do you do you all have any particular fear of drowning? Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't like. Does. I I have to like if I'm swimming, I have to force myself to put my head underwater, and I do to kind of you know get used to it and stuff. But I don't like having my face underwater. I I never really dug uh like snorkeling. Mm-hmm. Or you know, scuba diving. I I mean, I liked it, but it was also like I it, I had to kind of calm myself. A yeah, little bit. yeah, so, anxiety. Yeah. I went I went to Hawaii when I was ten, and I, I never really had a fear of the water during the daytime. Like at nighttime, it's always all all the sharks are out, and they're all going to be underneath <laughs> me if I can't see yeah. see anything. Um, uh, which is, you know, uh, an irrational fear, but it's a fear I had nonetheless. But I w- remember, you know, you couldn't get me out of the ocean when we were in Hawaii because uh, I grew mm. up in the Bay Area, which is great. We had the beach, but it was also always, you know, freezing cold. And so you never really wanted to be in the water. Yeah. Um, Same as in and- Oregon. Yeah. Uh, yep. Exactly. Yeah. So being in Hawaii, going, oh man, the water's like jacuzzi temperature all the time. Let's do this. Uh, I remember I, I pushed it a little bit and I went out a little too far and uh, a big wave came and, and I was like, great. I was body surfing and having so much fun, uh, but I mistimed one wave and it crashed down on me and pushed me under. And I had that like five seconds, five, 10 seconds where everything was just foam and bubbles. And I couldn't tell what direction was up and what was down and where I was and when I could get my next breath. And I didn't anticipate being underwater. So I didn't take a deep breath beforehand. And, and, and so I had that, that fear of like that moment that flashed before me going, I don't know if I'm going to, you know, drown right now or not. And this is, you know, a 10 year old panic brain happening. So, so ever since then I've, I've, uh, you know, I've had a little bit of a, a fear of the water. See, that kind of thing happened to me, but it didn't instill in me any fear of any real fear of drowning. Like I almost drowned in a wave pool at Wet n Wild when I was like 10. (laughs) And like I just I got too close to the, you know, the big league waves, you know, at the front of the thing and lost my raft or something. And so you're just getting hammered against that wall. And I eventually like got to a ladder and I was like, okay, cool. I can climb out now. So what would happen is I would start climbing and then I would get, you know, halfway up the ladder and then bam, a fucking big wave would come along and just knock me off. <laughs> I, would, I would get my shit rocked because it's like, you know, it's a wave that's like, you know, six feet tall or something, you know, and I'm, I'm 10 years old. So I'd get I'd, I'd get knocked off the ladder and then I'd 
kind of get back over to the ladder and start climbing just in time to catch another wave like right to the face. And this happened three times before a lifeguard pulled me out. And um, later, like laying there on the deck, I'm looking up and like his fucking chair was right by the ladder. And I'm like, <laughs> did, did you give the waves like three strikes and you're out like <laughs> or, or trying to let me like figure it out? Like, no, he's just bored and fucking you know, he eventually came and got me, but it didn't. Don't drown on my smoke break, bro. Yeah. Come on. I'm trying to check out these 15-year-old girls in bikinis, bro. <laughs> Come on. Like, you know, this is summer 89. Let's do it. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> but um, I don't really have any f- uh, real fear of, of drowning, I don't think. Oddly enough, from that experience, you would think that would be my origin story. And I'd be like the, the guy from <laughs> I, I, def- I definitely had a lot of traumatic water experiences, but I just like I still don't have fear of and I used to wa- whitewater raft and go down the rapids with just a life vest on and stuff. But it's like I think it's just the fear of, of inhaling water mistakenly mm-hmm, than it is, right. you know, and having no choice if you're submerged against your will. It's not it's not so much fear of the water. It's just that, right. you know. Like that thing, I'm not afraid of dying, but I'm afraid of that moment and going, I'm dying. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, it's an unexpected I got thing. Like seconds I, I, to think about that before it's yeah, over. Yeah. So, is there anything I want to rem- reminisce on before I'm gone? <laughs> yeah, uh. it's just an unex- unexpected thing. Like, because I'm a, I'm a good swimmer, I'm a strong swimmer, so I'm not nervous about being in the water, but you know, that that is in the back of my mind that unexpectedly I can't breathe, I don't like it. So, yeah. Okay, now do either of you have any fear of being buried alive by Leslie Nielsen on a beach and drowning? Well, every every day, yeah. I mean, I pray to God every every night before I go to sleep that Leslie Nielsen doesn't show up and and take <laughs> well, me to the beach. This I'll is my right thought now, as well. I'm not yes. digging the hole. He's going to have to shoot me. I'm going to die of a yes, gunshot fuck. wound on a beach. Yeah, not- that's what I'm saying, dude. Yes, absolutely. They, that like there's a, there's this guy I watch who if who's this expert in like avoiding abduction, and the thing is, it's like never let them never get in the car. Be like, shoot me right here. I'm not getting in. Yeah, because absolutely once, not. You know, <laughs> like I'm not. I'm saving myself the 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 strain on my back of digging that eight foot or whatever. <laughs> it drives me crazy whenever there's a movie and it's like dig your own grave, and you're like, wow, that's fucking hardcore. It's not hardcore. This is so stupid. Like, mm-hmm. if some if if someone's holding a gun on me and they're like, I'm gonna shoot you, and then I'm gonna put you in a grave that you're going to dig. I'd be like, no motherfucker. I'm just getting shot. And you're, yeah, you're going to, you're going to have more cleanup than you think. Yeah. I'm not dying <laughs> with like a backache motherfucker, yeah. you know, just do your thing and get it. <laughs> they, over. they also, they also give you a bludgeoning instrument to do it with. So yeah, it's like, just swing, yeah. swing away, swing away <laughs> with that shovel. Maybe you'll get lucky. Get a lick in. Yeah. Right. Couldn't hurt. Certainly. All right. Which next story is the crate. Uh, Matt, do you want to ex- explain the gist of this one? There is a crate that a uh, janitor finds that a um, a, a henpecked, I think is a good way to put it, man yes. basically uses for nefarious purposes. I it's it's one of the this is one of those ones that I love, but it's <laughs> it it's got that the serious tinge of misogyny. Um, <laughs> yes. But but at the same time, both. Hal, Hal Holbrook and Adrian Barbeau are so over the top good at nailing the cartooniness of their characters. Right. And they're both awful. They're like, both terrible people. It's, she, it's misogynistic, but also she is just fucking terrible. They're both she's terrible. Brutal. It's, 
it's yeah. a, it's an equal opportunity uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh shitty person yeah and, and, and like let's you know take does this hate women i don't think it hates women and all that shit out of it it's a great fucking monster like right. a scary monkey with like all the fangs like it has <laughs> way too many fangs way too many teeth so anything with a lot of teeth i remember uh reading a, a short story as a kid it's like an old one about a man who who uh, was walking down a country road at night and he sees a guy and he grins and it, the line was something that he has, he had far too many teeth and they were very long and that scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. Right. I think so, that might be one of the scariest stories to tell in the dark stories. Yeah, I think maybe it is. I think maybe it is. He's but got like piano key teeth or something. It's something like that. Yeah. But yeah, yeah it's, and it's, and also it's a monkey that somehow has lived in this box for, we don't even know how long, like something that's still alive in a museum that's in a, in a chain shut box covered in dust. Like wh- how is it alive? Yeah. What, you know, like what is this thing eternal? Is it a demon? And honestly, you don't know. Honestly, I never even thought of that, but that's a good point. That was the first thing I thought of as a kid. How has this thing stayed alive? How many you bananas know? did he have in there? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he secreted bananas from whatever foul jungle he was captured. And I love how, how sad the death of the janitor is mm-hmm. that he basically tricks into going in ahead of him. You feel so bad for that guy. And he, his mm-hmm. pain is genuine where he's screaming. It hurts. Uh-huh. You know, not that I take pleasure in that, but I think it's just so well done. It increases yeah. the horror so much. The fact that he sacrifices an innocent to this beast. He is now in a sense, worshiping, worshiping. And, you know, I love the party scene because he's, he's too, he's too, uh, uh, chicken shit to stand up to his, his wife. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Or kill her, which is what he wants to do. And like, I mean, fantasizes about, yeah, I I love her. I yeah. Fantasize about shooting and everyone claps. Like that's so great. And (laughs) and it's, it's made so great because she's so drunk at a picnic. Like I just, I remember as a kid, you have those, you have those relatives, you have these, you know, parents friends who are like oh he's a little tipsy but you know i never i was lucky enough to never have someone who's just like you know what fuck you john and jane like to my parents <laughs> you know but she's like flagrantly unrepentantly hammered at this yeah. daytime event at a college where it's supposed to be kind of refined and i remember seeing as a kid just being so entertained <laughs> by how ridiculous she was and i i was always a fan of actors and seeing her do that after being i think you know, I, I loved seeing her in the fog later because she's so restrained, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, as the, as the DJ. But she just, you know, it's kind of one of those things where she pressed it to the director. Can I just do this at a 10? Can I go all the way with this? George Maris. So, yes. Yeah. George Maris yes. saying, no, do you not know the project you're in? Have you not seen the dailies from Stephen <laughs> King's performance? <laughs> go to 11. Do we have anything else on the crate? You, you hit the design aspect. You hit... You know, Hal Holbrook was, you know, outside of the fog was like mostly known for, you know, being Mark Twain and, you know, being this kind of prestigious guy. So he's great casting. Um, and I do have a Hal Holbrook story, if, you, if you'll indulge me for a second. Please. Uh, he just recently passed away. Um, but uh, many, That's many years ago. Yeah, well, I never said it was going to be a funny story. You it's said it was going to be a hilarious story. story. <laughs> I did. Uh, many years ago, I uh, almost made a movie called The Home. I sold a screenplay 
uh, was producing it. We had we had funded it. it we had gotten our budget, uh, but it was a horror movie set in a nursing home. And because of that, we had so many great actors attached to it that were Oscar nominated or Oscar winning. We had Louise Fletcher. Wow. We had Louis Gossett Jr., uh, wow. Ed Asner, Cloris Leachman, who Jesus. also just recently passed. Um, and Hal Holbrook was going to be the lead, uh, the lead of the older cast. There, oh. there was like the nurse was the main, the nurse and the younger guy were the main characters. Um, but uh, the older cast was led by Hal Holbrook. And uh, he, it was so funny. The reason why we got, Holbrook was because of uh, Ed Asner, who he was good friends with, um, kind of talked him into like, hey, you know, come on in. We're doing this, this is going to be a fun thing. And Ed Asner is one of our biggest cheerleaders on it. And he, Hal Holbrook was like, I don't know. I don't want to do horror. I don't like horror. And he's just like, no, take a look at it. And I remember he got on the phone with our director uh, and we thought that the phone call with Hal was going to be. Um, like, oh, you know, we're going to go over the details of the character or whatever. And the director, he picks up the phone and I see his face drop. And and he told me later that the first thing Hal Holbrook said to him was, this is the most disgusting script I've ever read. Oh. <laughs> and oh, and, and oh, he no. was like, he's like, it's so vile. And, you know, this this person dies here. And the whole conceit was the, the idea is like, what if John Carpenter's the thing could took over a building instead of a person? So oh, it, cool. that is ca- kind of the the background of it. So it got very Lovecraftian and tentacly and monstery mm-hmm. at the okay. end, um, and so there was a lot of gross death and tentacles and weirdness. Sure. Uh, and, but you know, we also you know took great pains to make a to have a theme of of how our society throws away the elderly and in our story, the elderly were the ones saving everybody. They were the ones that lived with this that knew. Uh, that knew what was going on that, that could, you know, essentially help everybody get out. And, and so, you know, over this 30 minutes, you know, I watched the, our director talk to him about this. I never spoke to Hal Holbrook myself, but I was on the other side of this phone call uh, silent. And, he, uh, but I watched him like talk him around to it going and essentially he, he kind of made the point. He's like, my man, you were in the fog and creep show. It's like, nice. we're, we're not, you know, we're, we're not doing anything any more vile than, you know, feeding Adrian Barbota, <laughs> you yeah. know, to a creature in a crate. Um, and uh, he was essentially just going, listen, we're going to take this seriously. We're not going to be, you know, this isn't going to be, you know, a, a shocking for shock's sake kind of thing. Laid out the themes, laid out all that. And by the end of it, Hal Holbrook was like, okay, I think I understand this now and, and said he was in. So uh, wow. unfortunately, uh, the budget then uh, fell apart like three weeks before shooting and the movie never happened. But that is my Hal Holbrook uh, encounter, and uh, I'll, I'll always cool. very fondly remember that <laughs> that look on poor Aaron's face as uh, as he watched Hal or heard Hal Holbrook talk about how you disgusting the project he was working on. My theory on this is it had nothing to do with the vileness of the material, the violence, yeah, or the Lovecraftian nature of the tentacles. I think yeah. Hal Holbrook probably had a problem with the gratuitous amount of sex scenes and nude scenes you had written for him in the script. And lots of swinging it, dong yeah, yeah lots of swinging yeah. dongs you know well, ball, balls hanging down. down to the floor you his know was, that, his was actually the only tentacle in the movie <laughs> right uh, but it's so long that you're like okay it's very lovecraftian and girthy cthulhu like hog 
Yeah. But you can understand why we thought he would be, you know, happy about that. He got to show off, you know, God's gift that he got. Yeah, come on. And it was yeah. famous in the business. That's how like, you got Asner on the fucking project. Like you Uncle Milton. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's him and whatever what's his nuts that played Frosty the Snowman and infamous infamously large genitals. Yep. So there we go. <laughs> Great transition. I, do think, into- I think the idea of an all nude nursing home is revolutionary. And I think that, you know, uh, that should be explored via the horror genre. So hopefully, you right. know. But did you not see Hereditary? That's what that movie, that's <laughs> right? how it ended. It was right. Just, Rare were. exports. I mean, yeah, you got, you get, you know, elderly uh, nudity is, is in now, man. We it were is. way ahead of the curve. Red hot. <laughs> the bathtub girl in The Shining. I mean, come on. Oh, so sexy. That was everybody's, <laughs> every, it was, it was all our first turn ons. Okay, so they're creeping up on you. Mm. They're creeping up on you. The cockroach one. This was my yes. least favorite as a kid. Really? Yeah. How come? It, I, yeah, because it was just bugs to me. And bugs mm-hmm. are creepy crawly, but they're never that scary. And it was kind of this thing of like, I think it used tension really, really well. Uh, but it was I was also like, ironically, oh, I know what's going to happen. It's like, dude, you know what's going to happen in all of these. Like, it's, right. Where it's eventually going to lead, but for some reason, for some reason, the the way the way uh, I think it, I think it was you, Eric, was talking about anthologies that start badly. Like yeah. I feel like this one ended oh, badly when I was a kid. So it was Scott, excuse me. Um, but yeah, but at the same time, it's still fantastic. Like I love it now, but as a kid, I was like, mm, mm, this kind of ended shitty. You know? I'm kind of I'm kind of with you on this though, in in the sense that I don't find cockroaches scary either. Um, if I see a cockroach, I'm like, it's a fucking cockroach, you know, like I'm the same way with rats. I don't find rats scary to me. Rats are just big mice. You right. know, a cockroach mm-hmm. is just a cockroach cannot hurt you. It can't. Right. It's not going to bite you. It's this gelatinous little uh, oval running around on however many feet a fucking cockroach has. It's not frightening, <laughs> you know, but if those things were spiders, I don't fuck with spiders. You know, uh, yes. so if he his uh, apartment or penthouse or what have you had been taken over by spiders, this would be one of the scariest things I've ever fucking seen in my life. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Now, Scott, all spiders or j- just the fact that they are spiders are only spiders that can bite you. I think I'm a, I, I think <laughs> I think I'm a scared. I think I think I'm <laughs> frightened of basically any spider. My thing with spiders is. They have eight legs. This is this is largely unnatural. You know, I know an octopus has eight tentacles and what have you. Mm. And you can, I'm sure there are other, other creatures that, that I'm currently forgetting that have eight legs. But uh, there's something so alien and sinister to me about a spider. And I don't care if it's a friendly spider or like a tarantula that is just vibrating with all the venom inside of it. There, there's almost nothing else in this world that frightens me as much as a, a a big spider snakes don't scare me rats don't scare me scorpions don't scare me any of the wildlife we have in texas doesn't freak me out as much as as fucking spiders this is probably the number one reason it's going to take a lot to get me to go to australia i know what they're doing down there <laughs> yeah they, yeah, those, they have spiders wolves. as big as clocks the, those yeah. videos of wolf spiders i'm like no it's not, fucking not on your crazy right. dude they're so like Years ago, I had a buddy in the Air Force, and he was stationed over in Iraq, and uh, 
was telling me about this story about he was talking about camel spiders and how oh, yeah. big they were. And yes. he was saying like, yeah, well, you know, one thing I used to do just to blow off steam was I'd go out like in the middle of the night and run around. We had a track on base and I'd just go run around it, you know, and it's like just like a normal track, except there's sand around instead of, you know, fucking grass or whatnot. Sure. So he's out there in the middle of the night, just jogging along. And here's a noise off to his right. And he sees a fucking camel spider coming at him in the dark. And he's like, this thing was as big around as a fucking dinner plate. Like, I'm not exaggerating. And it kept, yeah, exactly. And it kept pace with him and was like coming toward him. And he had no idea what to do. The, the area is featureless. I would have shit my pants while running. You know, there would have been <laughs> yeah. a jet of shit propelling me at, up the track possibly like a turbo charge that, that's that sounds like a standalone uh like a like a lovecraft or like maybe like a richard matheson story where it's like there, there's no real crazy plot to it but it's just like this one fucked up thing that shouldn't exist is coming at me and i have no defense and there's yeah. no you know like no one will believe me if i get away but it's it's like that's so horrifying and all yeah. you have is your running shoes right. not even boots we have Wampler's entry into uh, the creep show, the next generation uh, thing that we are launching. So yeah, totally. we got a new totally. new anthology. Yes, well, it's going to feature well, uh, Wampler shit spider. <laughs> I, I I like the idea of the the jogger who it's like he, like the pitches he he jogs into the mist. You know, like he mm -hmm. goes <laughs> to, to turn it back on the Stephen King, but it's just like little where the little things are. There's no giant monster in the sky that'll cut you in half with his pinchers, but there's like you know, spiders and monsters, and all you all the guy can do is run. So he went out like, well, I'll do like three miles, and he's like on his fifteenth mile, just full out, lungs burning. <laughs> this it's, is it's, this takes crank place. or run, run little run. This <laughs> this, this pitch takes place uh, at simultaneously during the end scene of the mist and the lead character is a guy who's been fucking i don't know he was he was in a coma or something or dead asleep for you know several days he missed all the goings on with the mist somehow yes and he so he's just catching the tail end of it and he's like oh it's kind of foggy this morning and that's when one of the yeah. spiders with fucking two <laughs> my teeth comes out I think he's one of those guys who does like a Spencer Tracy, like Spencer Tracy. I don't know if you knew, know this. He used to sit in a bathtub when like his, his, his shooting was over and he just, he had a briefcase of liquor and he would drink it all and like shit himself and vomit. And then he and do it again. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I think this guy's one of those guys who's like disciplined about his, his, his alcoholism. But like when it's done, he has to like jog and sweat it all out. Totally. Totally. So he's been on a bender in a cabin for like three days, four days. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, now he's like, he's like, you know, he got up and, you know, ate, force ate a muffin and he just is running. And so now these things are after him and he's just wondering if he's just having, you know, these it's severe DTs, hallucinations or something. I might finally get me to get over my fear of spiders. I tried to conquer it uh, a few years ago by um, uh, I was on another show. Uh, I've talked about this before, too, but, but like, you know, the whole point of the show is we would my ho my co-host and I would go out and do very, very stupid things on purpose and then come on and talk about them with a guest. And oh, so yeah. one episode was about conquering our fears. So her thing was she had to do a Ouija board at night. She's scared of fucking Ouija boards and spirits and all that nonsense. Oh, right. Okay. And mine was I had to let spiders crawl all over me. So we went to like uh, like can, in, can I break in real quick and say that that doesn't seem like a, a fair or equal footing? Yeah. Thing she, <laughs> believe me, we argued about this, but like 
she was she was really as scared of a Ouija board as I was scared of spiders. Like I believe but the difference is the difference is you go to Toys R Us uh, when they existed. So let me rephrase that: you go to Target and you can buy uh, a Ouija board next to a hungry, hungry hippos. Yes, but um, I insisted that we go out. We went uh, to a variety of antique stores. And I insisted that we buy, buy the oldest, creepiest Ouija board I could find. Like something not of this era and not like a Milton Bradley fucking Ouija board. <laughs> right. You know, it had mm-hmm. to look upsetting. And we found one. Um, man, actually, I don't know what ever happened to that. It's probably up in my attic haunting. You know, I didn't put it up there, but it found its way into the attic. And now it's <laughs> right. watching from above. <laughs> but anyway, I let these spiders crawl all over me. And um, big ones like tarantulas uh, up and down both arms. It fucking sucked. I can tell you that. But I did feel a little better afterwards. But that was like three, four years ago. And now I'm right back to if I see a spider like the size of a half dollar or something, I will lose my mind as though, you know, I didn't have something much bigger crawling all over me. All of this is to say that if they're creeping up on you, were about spiders rather than cockroaches, I think it would be a masterpiece. But oh, yeah. Yeah, probably har- probably harder to wrangle spiders than cockroaches, though. No, I wonder. De- definitely more expensive. You know, I, I read a-, a King was asked about um, about the cockroaches a lot around the time that this movie came out, and he told a, a story about how just cheap they were. Uh, <laughs> they they just came from like this. Uh, they would live in uh, bat guano in a cave in like South America or something. And, and it was like, they, they were so ridiculously cheap that they just brought them in by like the, uh, the garbage can full. The pound, and yeah, they the just pound. like, yeah. And they just threw like rotten fruit and shit in there to, to feed them while they were, <laughs> they were waiting, waiting to film. I, I mean, I, I'm with you. The bugs don't creep me out as much unless they're really alien and weird looking like in Temple of Doom, like whatever the fuck is on uh, Kate Capshaw's hand when she breaks her nail or whatever. And it looks kind of like a scorpion, but it's not. Oh, yeah. You know, whatever the fuck that thing is, it the looks like a, pe- something that would be in the labyrinth. It's yeah, the it's variety got- of, of creepy crawlies, creepy crawlies. You know, it's 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 I think the difference we're talking about is like is long legs. Long hmm. legs are terrifying. Like when they're like it, yes. something just skittles, and when you, when you see it just sitting there still, and you're like, "Is that?" and then it it moves super fast. Fuck that! Uh-huh. It's like <laughs> get out of the room. Like, and I would say roaches have when I when I saw roaches as a kid, and I'm staring, at it, and then it all of a sudden flies at my face, and you're like, "You can fly!" That's a disgusting, <laughs> horrifying moment, you know. Mm-hmm. Right? So well. The yeah. the one thing that roaches have that that's creepy at all to me is how sticky their legs are if they like attach to you. Yeah, you know they got the little barbs or whatever. For whatever reason that that skeeves me out, but it's not. It's still like more bugs? like oh, kind of gross. I've ever, I don't think I've ever had a roach on me. Now that we're talking about this, but like yeah, June bugs. They, I bad. mean, are you talking about like June bugs? How they cling to a shirt? Well, yes, the roaches are, are similar in in their clinginess and spiky leggedness. Um, but it's, yeah, it, it doesn't bug me, but I will say that the, uh, no pun intended, but I will say the, uh, like the, the last image of like EG Mart, the fake EG Marshall, uh, you know, with all the bugs like coming out of his mouth and shit, it's mm-hmm. really well done. Good, yeah, good Savini mm-hmm. work there. Very good shit. I think it, it's also the correct, uh, chapter amongst these chapters to end the, the movie on that sends you out of the theater. Just like, fuck dude. 
Yeah. <laughs> yep. Right. That man had roaches crawling out of his body. That was yeah. And he yeah. deserved it. He's an asshole. It, I think that is to me the redeemer of the whole thing where you kind of just know it's going to, you know, we, we cover this. It's going it, to all the theme of all this is it's not going to go well for this person. At all. Right. It's not like, <laughs> yeah. it, that's the fun. But it, I think we knew what was going to exactly was going to happen to him, but the, it, that it was so many roaches, then none and, a, and, a, and him and he's dead. And you're like, wait, oh, no. And they come out of him and then the room is full and then there's no man. And you're like, oh, God, <laughs> it's such a great flip. It's such a great ending. Mm, I agree. I guess we should talk about the wrap up to the uh, the wraparound segment. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. The whole thing is all about the uh, uh, bad people and sometimes good people, but mostly bad people getting their comeuppance. You know, you open this thing with a, a dad beating his kid. So, of course, the dad's got to gotta pay and i really do love uh how this thing ends with the full-on embrace uh, of the old ec comics thing Mm. with the uh Mm -hmm. you know the 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 reveal that that the kid had had sent off you know clipped out one of those things from the from the end and and um sent it off or am i thinking about creep show too now that i'm fucking thinking about it you guys tell me that's what happens right he he clips out the the ad for like the killer plant or whatever um yes yeah this is this one's a voodoo doll if the voodoo yeah. doll that's right the killer plants in creep show too yeah but yes oh, but right. yeah but he's still he is he's still it's a it's an easy mistake to make because it is a thing you they you've they, they've ordered out of the mag out of the comic. right right, right. So. Both, both do that um mm-hmm. i it makes me think now that i realize that and i never really thought about that but i wish there was a third one and the kid ordered like whatever that uh, the to get muscle bound. You don't get your like sand kicked in your face like that right. old school one. And he just gets you get- and beats his dad to death. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he gets like a Takashi Miike, you know, effect where it's like a little kid's head on a big muscle bound body or something. <laughs> Looks like Mars attacks. Just yeah. shredded um, as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, have, did you guys ever order anything out of uh, out of any of those kind of magazines? Like I, I did the X Ray Specs once, and when I was a kid, mm-hmm. uh, and all it was was you know just like a pair of glasses with some like <laughs> a fil- like a little plastic filter in it that just made everything a little like hazy. You know when you go to like those laser light shows and everything like gets starry and yeah. you put on those things. It was pretty much that where it wasn't actually you know, uh, see through or anything. It, it, it was false advertising is what I'm saying. And I'm still yes. sore about it. And I want my four ninety five back. <laughs> I got scared off because another kid I went to school with ordered sea monkeys. And it was like, mm. they send you like, you know, a bag of water with just like tiny, you know, silverfish in it or some, some bullshit. Like it's just bugs. You're basically getting bugs and you look in that ad and it's a, it's a, a, a snorks like village uh, or a city <laughs> of these little uh, sea people with faces and everything that like, so I was just yeah, like, no, I'm not, no, I, I, I'll take that as a, as a, as a note to not order anything out of a comic book. <laughs> the only thing I remember kind of doing or trying to do like that was, uh, this is when I was back reading comics. So I must've been like nine or 10 and there was an ad for in the backs of comics where it was like, for a limited time, if you sent in three Charleston shoe wrappers to some address, you would get like, I think it was a issue of Spider-Man Venom that was 
Mm. Maybe it had a metallic cover or it was something kind of fancy. And, you know, I, the details are big, but I, I do remember the Charleston chew part because I was like, I've never had a Charleston chew, but I'm now I'm going to have three of them so I can send these wrappers out. <laughs> and I started looking whenever we, my, my, I went to the store with my folks for Charleston chew and they didn't fucking sell them in uh, Dallas at that time. In fact, I didn't actually see a Charleston shoe with my own eyes until years later. And I was like, motherfucker, now they're everywhere. <laughs> and you just know they said didn't have that Spider-Man comic fucking on offer anymore. Like I would have been, no. been screwed. So, yeah. Yeah, I remember they did. They did one with like Hostess once. And I remember I don't think I ever sent off for it. But like my comic book shop had a copy and I was got really excited because I'm like, oh, this is cool. It's, it was it was Spider-Man. It's like, oh, and I love Spider-Man. I'm going to go ahead and get this. And it was it was like the nerdy, like early 90s, late 80s version of uh, of Ralphie with his uh, Christmas story decoder. <laughs> and I'm just reading going, this is a fucking commercial. <laughs> yeah like this is just totally. spider-man you know is hungry from stopping thugs for like three pages and and just all he wants is a twinkie or whatever the fuck <laughs> <laughs> oh childhood full of disappointments yeah well speaking of disappointments this uh the show's got to end at some point yeah, yeah. And, uh, this is true matt what do you got going on that you'd like to tease for our uh well listeners I- you know, since I, 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 I'm chasing this, this baby around, uh, even though she can't what really walk yet, but, uh, you know, mostly I'm a stay at home dad, but I do put out a comedy advice podcast, uh, once a week called this might help with Matt Bronger. And it's not clinical. It's just people throwing out advice based on the mistakes and fuck ups of their own lives. People call in, they call three, two, three, seven, six, three, zero, two, two, eight. And they leave a message. Uh, could be serious advice, could be, you know, like the guy who called me on acid and said him and his roommates were thinking about going to the attic with boxing gloves on to catch a possum. Uh, <laughs> you just never know what you're going to get. But it's like, it's 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 45 minutes in and out. It's fun. It's funny. You Sometimes you're getting heavy stuff and we do, but we do treat every call sincerely. Like you're not going to get uh, us dumping on you and your problems. And um, uh, anyway, so th- there's that. And also I have... You know, my specials are on Amazon Prime and uh, my albums are all out on streaming. My latest was called um, Please Hold Me. It came out last year. And uh, oh, for uh, for you guys, uh, uh, fellow horror fans, the the the, the cover is is a, a copy of uh, uh, Nicholson and the Shining uh, looking through the 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 axed in hole in the door. Nice. Uh, big blood, uh, blood written. Please hold me. <laughs> uh, it is my 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 play on how uh you know it's it's it, you 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 have to at some point stop being a creep especially into your 40s because then you're the most horrifying person in the world a younger creepy guy is is easier to put up with anyway uh, <laughs> so all that all that stuff is out there if people uh uh have a little extra scratch i know most of us don't but if you could give to uh your local food bank i'm always plugging that uh oregon food bank is the one i donate to the most so that's where i'm from but right now people are just uh they're hurting to not only keep their homes but also to feed their families so if you can you know throw out throw out a couple a couple a uh, couple bucks if you can uh if you can you can square it with your budget but, um, Very good advice, and no other KingCast guest has made that play during this segment before. <laughs> so, <laughs> kind of humiliating all the other, you know, <laughs> celebrities that we've had on this show who didn't ask people to donate to a food bank. Hmm. Maybe think about that, Ryan Johnson. 
Maybe yeah, man. <laughs> Something for you to work in the knives out too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. This was this was a blast. I'm glad we got a a, a full actual creep show episode on the books. Mm-hmm. And please come back. We'd love to have you. You were. Oh, great. I would love to. I I've been telling you guys that I'd, this is one of those ones I really I I don't. I don't listen to a ton of podcasts. I just don't have time, but this is just so up my alley that it's like, uh, it's, it's so fun to hear people's different takes on it. I mean, because, because of the winters episode, I went back and watched dead zone in bits where, you know, when, when my, when my kid was napping, you know, that's my, that's my time <laughs> to either do work or absolutely screw off completely. And I went through it and I watched the whole thing and it was, it was a lot of fun to just kind of pick through it and and because there's so many things that he saw and you guys saw that I didn't catch because I'd seen it so long ago. So anyway, it's a fun and literate distraction, this pod. So uh, I, I appreciate you guys. Well, thank you oh, so thank much you for saying much. that. Many thanks to Matt Bronner for that very special and very long episode. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed it as much as we did. Love Matt. That was a great conversation. It involved us recording it in two parts, but we completed it ultimately and that's all that matters in the long run we done did it there's a whole lot of technical wizardry that went into that that hopefully you did not notice <laughs> yes and if you did notice we don't need to hear about it yeah you got great ears give yourself a pat on the back and move the fuck on <laughs> so we have a very 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 busy seven days for the king cast we have a myriad of bonus episodes that are hitting this week but before we talk about those we should let everybody know what the title is for next week's main feed episode that we'll be debuting next mm-hmm. Wednesday. This is going to yes. be another one that kind of breaks the mold a little bit. We seem to be doing these a lot with uh, Dark Tower stuff in particular, but we are delving back into the world of Roland Deschain. And in particular, we are going to be focusing on Wizard and Glass. Uh, even though that doesn't really have an adaptation per se, we had a guest come in that said he wanted to do it. And with this guest, you said, yes, sir, you, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> and also, I think that ultimately this show, we, we've talked about this off the air, but eventually we, we will have main feed episodes for all the Dark Tower books. And also, I will just I will just add before Eric finishes his spiel. This is our first rock star on the uh, Kingcast. That That is true. I, I'm sure that that's going to make our guest fairly obvious to people who know his music, but uh, it's a big get for us, a great person to talk to, and somebody who's super duper passionate about Dark Tower, which is always welcome around here. So next mm-hmm. week, Wizard and Glass. With and Wayne Newton. You guessed it. <laughs> with Olivia Newton-John. We're also doing a main feed bonus episode tomorrow where we bring in the people running the Stephen King rules film festival. That's the dollar baby festival that is going on this weekend. It's a free festival for anybody to uh, watch via YouTube or Vimeo. uh, And it brings together for the first time, I think it's 25 of Stephen King's dollar babies, which is the program he has for students to uh, option his work and show it. Usually they're not allowed to show it online, but because of the pandemic, King has granted them the ability to run this festival. So you'll see a whole bunch of people tackle a bunch of very well-known Stephen King short stories, uh, and you can do it for free. So we wanted to bring in the festival directors who also uh, created one of the shorts in the festival to come on the show and uh, tell us a little bit more about the fest and how everybody can watch it. And we had a blast talking to these folks. I think that festival is going to be something special. 
And then we have not one, but two bonus episodes coming your way on the Patreon this Friday. Do we not, Eric? Oh, boy, howdy, do we do. Uh, it is so. So this week you have the episode you just listened to in the main feed. Then there'll be another main feed bonus episode all about the Stephen King Rules Short Film Festival. And then on our Patreon, we have two full feature length uh, bonus episodes exclusively for our Patreon. Right. And uh, the thing about this is uh, one of these bonus episodes, we brought in a gentleman who is a famed porn producer and writer who will be coming in to pitch us his Stephen King porn parody. But we realize that some of y'all listen to this show with your kids. Maybe you're not that comfortable with this sort of material. It is a highly, highly not safe for work episode. So we're also going to be dropping our latest mailbag episode. Yeah, we just wanted to be sensitive to people who may not want to listen to. It is extremely graphic. And we don't want to hear any bullshit about it. If you're like even remotely prudish. Or you don't hear like hearing about D's, V's, A's, M's. What else? W's. You don't need W's, to know. W's, Q's. You don't, you don't know what's going on in here. Yeah, that's true. It's highly entertaining. There does come a point where we throw out a bunch of porn parody Stephen King titles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is particularly fun. So it's a very fun episode, but, you know, it is touching on, you know, a subject which we go fairly in depth on in in the porn parody world and how those come about. And, you know, we recognize that's not everybody's cup of tea. So we wanted to make sure that the Patreon subscribers also had the ability to just have a regular old, you know, episode where we answer some listener questions. So if you're into all of it, then you have a whole week of hearing our voices. We have... Stephen King Rules Festival, main feed tomorrow, two bonus episodes, mailbag, and the Stephen King porn parody episode on our Patreon on Friday. You can access those at patreon.com backslash the Kingcast. And next Wednesday, we will have uh, Wizard and Glass on the main feed with a rock star guest, literally. More Kingcast content than you can possibly handle. <laughs> For sure. So we'll see you folks then. See you. The Kingcast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director, and editing is done by yours truly. <laughs>